this little light of mine. I'm going to get it, let it shine, I think. You can take your Bibles and or devices and turn to John chapter 10. It's kind of where we're going to jump off someplace else today, but we're going to end up in John chapter 10. So a couple of things I want to mention to you, and then we will get into God's Word. The end of the service today, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together, communion. So for those of you that are watching virtually, as always, you can get your uh, potato chips or crackers or biscuit or orange juice, whatever elements you choose to symbolize it with. We're going to use this nice prepackaged stuff that tastes so good uh, here in the auditorium. If you can get it open, that's the key. Last month, I opened about three of them before I finally got and ended up with sticky, whatever that stuff is in there, sticky juice all over my uh, fingers and or notes. So you can prepare now. Rather than waiting the entire sermon to open it, you can prepare. Because uh, some of you uh, are like me who have, are not very dexterous any longer. I usually get one of my grandkids to open it for me. So... Anyway, at the end of the, the service today, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together, so we look forward to that. And one thing I will mention, because sometimes I forget to do that, when we get to the end of the service and we get ready to share the Lord's Supper together, you do not have to be a member of Christ Church. Uh, you don't, you, if you're visiting with us, it's simply, if you're a believer, you're a believer. It's the body of Christ. It's one, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We are Christians. So if you're here and you're born again and you're a Christian, then... We're welcome. I want you to share the Lord's Supper with us together. It's his table. It's not, it doesn't belong to us. It doesn't belong to Christ Church. It, it is the table of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So all are welcome. Uh, let see what else I need to mention right now. Okay. The only other thing I do want to mention is on October 3rd, if you'll put it on your calendar, we're going to have a con our annual congregational meeting at the Bartlett Campus. What you can do, we'll leave here and you can drive, and I've already made a commitment, a promise in staff meeting that I would finish before noon. We'll find out if there's a God that day. If I can finish before noon, and if we can, can, can uh, get you to the Bartlett campus at 12.30, and there'll be, we're going to eat there together, and then have the meeting about 1.30, and uh, our goal is to finish that in an hour. Again, we'll find out if, if there's a God, if we can get through that in an hour. But then we're going to spend afternoon, Sunday afternoon together. We've got a cornhole tournament. If you'd like to be in the tournament, you can go to the website and sign up, get you a partner and sign up, and uh, we'll compete for a valuable prizes. Uh, I think most of them are like eight by ten glossies of the elders, something like that. And if you, if you do well, they'll sign it for you, so for a small fee. All right, so that's October 3rd. We're coming up here in a couple of weeks, so... Again, if you want to be in the cornhole tournament, you can go and sign up also. Let them know you're coming so we know exactly how many to prepare for. So October 3rd, leave here, go there, eat lunch, have the meeting, and just spend some time together as a family of God, both campuses together. We don't get to do that enough. So we're looking forward to doing that October 3rd. All right, turn to John 10 if you have not already. What we're going to do today is... Continuing to look at Jesus' statement that I am the good shepherd. And I really want to focus in on the, the, uh, the great hymn of the faith that uh, Peter just led us in, the worship team just led us in, Great is Thy Faithfulness. So I ask him to, to uh, put that hymn as part of our worship time today. So I really want you to hone in on today as we look. You'll take your hand out. You can see we're uh, finished basically number one as we transition into point number two. That we're looking at what it means 
that Jesus is the good shepherd. We emphasize the word the because in, in the original language is what's called the Greek definite article, which means there's only one shepherd like this. There are a lot of shepherds. And there's a reason God chose that metaphor to explain to the children of Israel who he was. Psalm 23, which you've all memorized, we all know, says, who is, who is my shepherd? Thank you. The Lord is my shepherd. David was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. You can go on and on. In the Old Testament, you see that metaphor over and over and over again. Because shepherding was sheep were very valuable for a lot of reasons. And so God wanted them to understand, you're important to me. And then you get into the New Testament, and Jesus makes this great statement that I am the good shepherd. And then we also saw back in John 8, which is the theme uh, verse for the series, for Abraham was, I am. So every time you see Jesus make that statement, what he's, re what he's emphasizing, remember his audience is Jewish, what he's emphasizing to them is, I am eternal God. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the one who spoke to Moses in the burning bush. I'm the one that led you out of Egypt, led your people out of Egypt, the Passover. I am God. So Jesus said, the God that you have worshipped, you've looked for, the Messiah that you've been longing to see, that was I'm here. I told you a couple of weeks ago, and I get goosebumps every time I think about it, even now, thinking about that passage, where Jesus goes into the synagogue, and as a visiting rabbi, he reads from Isaiah, and then he rolls up the scroll, and he sets the scroll down, and then he or hands it back to the attendant, and then he sits down, and what did he say? If you never memorize the verse in your Bible, memorize this one. Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. What he was saying to the Jews at synagogue that day is, by the way, God is in your midst. Not God the Spirit. I, God, in the flesh am here. Obviously, God the Spirit was there as well. But I'm God. I'm here. I am the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. I am the fulfillment of the, the servant on the pole in Numbers. I am the fulfillment of Psalm 23, the good shepherd. That's what we're looking at right now. I am the good shepherd. You notice last week when we were dealing with point number one, that, G, that the good shepherd died for the sheep. And that Jesus' death was selfless, it was sacrificial, and it was sufficient. It was never about him. It was a sacrifice to pay the sin debt of mankind. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. The only way I can become right with God or the righteousness of God is to be in Christ. He made that possible by dying on the cross, and he says, it is finished. And then when he rose from the dead, he conquered sin and death. Paid the price, defeated sin, death, and Satan, and we fight from, from victory, not to get victory. Jesus bought it for us. We're redeemed. All of that, as the good shepherd, he died for the sheep. Now you get to verse 12, John 10, if you'll go there for, with me. Verse 12. He's talking about contrasting himself with the false shepherd. Primarily, immediate context, he's contrasting himself with the scribes and Pharisees, that they were false shepherds. We've talked a lot about that. So verse 12. A hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees. The wolf catches the sheep and scatters him. We dealt with that last week. Now verse 13. The hireling flees, and I love this because it's just, in a very real way, it's, it's humorous but sad. 
Here's what Jesus said. The hireling flees because he is a hireling. And he does not care about the sheep. Peter writes over in one of his epistles that a dog returns to his own vomit. I know you look forward to that lunch today. A dog returns to his own vomit. Why does a dog do that? Because he's a dog. Dogs do dog things. And I love dogs. I've told you many times I had to make a decision. Married, I've been four, married 48 years. August 24th was our 48th anniversary. I don't know if we're going to make it to 50 or not, but we'll see what God does. All right. I grew up with dogs. I had two of them. I loved my dogs. And then we got married, and Mary made it clear, you're not having a dog. And I said, maybe I am. We don't have a dog. We've never had a dog, and we'll never have a dog. We don't have dogs, but I love them. And I love that dogs are dogs. For example, animals do what animals do. Quick example, and we'll move on. Told you, I told you this before, but God, every September, reminds me. If you'll visit 6000 Aubrey Ranch Drive, where I happen to reside, in the month of September, you'll see my beautiful, pristine front yard, full of Bermuda grass, always looks good, is absolutely torn to shreds in the month of September. You know why? Jerry? I have an armadillo. He visits every September and tears my front yard apart. My backyard's nasty anyway, because nothing grows back there, but he doesn't touch that. Oh no. He's got to go to the front where I'm paying true green to keep it looking good. So I contacted the guy this week just to see. I said, what would it cost to have my armadillo taken care of? 400 bucks? Never mind, my yard can look good for a month, look bad for a month. But you mark it down. What is, why does that armadillo do that? Because it's an armadillo. The other thing they do is they run down the road trying to get hit by pickup trucks. I saw a dead one the other day, and I said, dear God, let that be mine. <laughs> Guess what? Wasn't mine. It's my thorn of the flesh. I beg God every year, remove this from me. And you know what he says? My grace is sufficient for you. I know that, but what about the armadillo? I work hard on my yard. It looks good. Except September. And not only does it look bad, you can't walk in it without breaking an ankle. Armadillos do armadillo things because that's what they are. So what is Jesus saying? You know why a hireling runs and he doesn't take care of the sheep? Because that's who he is. Please don't miss this principle. Christians do Christ-like things because that's who we are. Not to buy anything, not to gain uh, God's pleasure. We do it because we've been changed. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Just like you were born physically, you've got to be reborn or born spiritually. You're dead spiritually. You've got to be born spiritually to be right with God. You've got to be in Christ. So we see that Jesus' death makes that possible. In Ephesians 2, you don't have to turn there, Paul writes this, and then we're going to transition to the church. Remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, it's, I mean, in Ephesians it's all about the church being one Lord, it's mentioned earlier, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. And in the culture in which Paul wrote that, those were very radical statements. Jews hated Gentiles, 
uh, uh, Jews believed women were property. They weren't equal. Slaves were certainly property. They weren't equal with the free. And then, then Jesus comes along, and Paul, he, Peter had to learn in the book of Acts, you know, he was a bigot and had to learn that God is no respecter of persons. And Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we're one. The entire book of Philemon, little book in your end of your Bible, Philemon, is about a runaway slave that gets saved and goes back to his master. And Paul says, don't take him back as a slave. Welcome him back as a brother in Christ, and I'll pay his debt. Normally, you know what happened to a runaway slave? They killed him. Teach him a lesson so others wouldn't run away. Paul said, no, you welcome him back, Onesimus. Welcome him back. He's your brother. The church was different. The church should be different. We are to stand out because we understand love. We understand who the good shepherd is, continuing in Ephesians. You were Gentiles in the flesh. You were called uncircumcision by what, the, what, what it is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. In other words, Jews looked at you, Gentiles, and said, I don't want anything to do with them. They're uncircumcised. They're not good enough to be in the synagogue with us. They're not good enough. They wouldn't even walk through their land. Jews would not go through the land of Samaritans or they hated Gentiles. So Paul continues that at this time, at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise. The Jews have been given all the great covenants, having no hope and without God in the world. By the way, which is where most of our culture is, without hope, without God. And by the way, who knows hope and who knows God? We do. We need to share him. But now, Gentiles, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He paid the price. His blood set us free. And great is the faithfulness of our God. I love that old hymn. I think we all should, we all should start talking that way again. Thy and endureth and all those, those cool old English words. Great is thy faithfulness. New every morning I wake up and I'm reminded how faithful you are. The blessing of another day. Even though it may be, end up being a lot of difficulty that I have to face. Great is thy faithfulness. You'll be there. You'll carry me. The whole picture of the good shepherd, he's faithful. He takes care of his people. Now, verse 13. The hireling flees because he is a hireling, and secondly, he does not care about the sheep. So important. A shepherd who is a true shepherd cares about the sheep. It's not about the shepherd. There are a lot of preachers out there that are false teachers who are in it for themselves. They don't care about the sheep. They're in it to manipulate the sheep. The entire book of 2 Peter is about that group of people. False teachers, false shepherds. And that's what Jesus is talking about here to the crowd at large. Don't be like the Pharisees and don't follow the Pharisees. They're false shepherds. They're hirelings. When trouble comes, they're going to run. Why? Because they are hirelings. They don't care about you. They're only in it for the money. They don't care about you. They're not the shepherd. They don't own. That's, I love that little phrase. Here's what he's saying. I'm the good shepherd. I bought you. 
I own you. That's why you see Paul say in every one of his epistles, he describes himself as a bond slave of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? I've been set free, but I choose to be a slave to the master because I'm better off there. I want to be owned by Jesus. Here's what Jesus is saying. As a good shepherd, I own you. You're valuable to me, and I will not let anything take you out of my hand, snatch you out of my hand. Satan is defeated. I am your good shepherd. I'll never abandon you like the hireling does. I'll never leave you unprotected like the hireling does. I'll never let you down like the hireling does. In other words, when the wolf comes, I'm going to do what? I'm going to protect you from the wolf. If I have to, I'll die for you, which the metaphorically he's, he's already, he has done, obviously. Died in our place. Jeremiah, the prophet, wrote these words. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That was the genesis of the hymn we sang. That passage from Jeremiah. Every day, Christians wake up with a consuming hope, and it means confident expectation that our God is faithful because he owns us. He loves us. David wrote in Psalm 36, Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. The picture is, can I go anywhere where God, Psalm 139, you read the same thing, you go to the depths of the sea, the heights of the heavens, where is God waiting on you? He's waiting on you. He's in your tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, except I know at some tomorrow Jesus is going to come back. What I know is God is already in tomorrow waiting on me, saying, come on, Randy, I got this. Trust me. I'm faithful. You don't have to worry about being let down. All right, number two on your handout. Not only does he love his sheep, knows he died for his sheep, he knows them intimately. Verse 14, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own, my sheep. As the Father knows me, incredible simile here, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus' focus here, a little bit of a transition. He's made it clear, I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to love you. I'm not going to be like the, the hireling. I know you intimately, personally. His focus here is on that intimacy, that you can trust me. You can know that I'm caring for you because we have something that the Pharisees and the scribes cannot give you. We have relationship. Look at verse 15 again. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Here's what Jesus is saying. I offer to you, and he's saying it, he was saying it to them, he says it to us, and he says it to our culture, and he will be saying it until he comes back at Armageddon in the second coming to ultimately and finally judge everything. He offers something you cannot get anywhere else, a personal relationship with God. Not a religion. The Pharisees were ultra-religious, ultra and Jesus told them, you're going to hell. 
couldn't be any more religious than they were. I remember when I was selling greeting cards back in the 70s and the early 80s. and I was a Christian, and I was open and up front, never tried to hide it. And the guys I worked with, we traveled together some. Of course, we were traveling salesmen. So when we would go out of town, they wanted to go and do things that traveling salesmen do. We couldn't find any farmer's houses, so they would go to the bar. And they would say, well, don't tell Randy we're going. He's got religion. Now, it would get all over me when they would say that, and I, and I would tell them, I don't have religion, I have Jesus. And we, some of them I could talk to them about, and we had a good enough relationship, some just didn't, didn't matter. I want people to know that I'm a Christian. I'm excited about the hope I have in him. I want to share it. I want people to know. Here's what Jesus is focusing on. These two verses are incredible. Personal, intimate relationship with God. Verse 15, he's saying, I want you to understand it's analogous, not exact, but analogous to the relationship I have with the Father. And clearly, what has Jesus said about his relationship with the Father? I and the Father are one, direct quote. We're one in nature. 100% God. The Father, 100% God. The Son, 100% God. The Holy Spirit. Listen to these verses. John 17 in the Upper Room Discourse. Jesus says, I've glorified you, praying to the Father. I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Wow. Prior to there being anything, in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning means out of nothing, God created. In the beginning, God created. Out of nothing. Nothing existed except God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Genesis 1-26, let us create man in our image. Us is a plural pronoun. I think I, I didn't do well in English. Us is a plural pronoun. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. Let us create man in our image. Prior to doing, creating the universe, there was God. Perfect love, harmony, and intimate fellowship. And now Jesus, in the upper room discourse, in John 17, as he's getting ready to leave, as they're leaving, heading to Gethsemane, heading to the cross, he's told them over and over, I'm going away, I'm going away, I'm preparing you for my departure so you can carry on, and they don't want him to go, and we talked about all that. He's now in John 17, he starts praying. It's called the great high priestly prayer of Christ. And he starts out saying to the Father, okay, it's time. The time we've known about for all eternity is here. The upper room, this course begins this way in John 13. Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, boom, 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 gets down and washes their feet on and on. So now here he is, he's praying to the Father, okay, it's time. I want you to glorify me with the glory which we had together before the world was. I want the world in my death, my agony, going to the cross, the crucifixion. We talked about the joy set before him last week. I want them to see you, Father. I want them to have a correct estimate of who God is. I want them to see that in me as I die for their sins. Glorify me. Perfect fellowship. And then in that same chapter, down in verse 20, Jesus changes 
and prays for his followers. Listen closely. My prayer is not for them alone, talking about the 11 people in the room. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Wow. End quote. The wow part wasn't in there. That was mine. You know what Jesus is praying in John 17, 20 and 21? He's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying for every person that was saved in the ministry of the early church and the church since. We're in the church age. As the gospel message went out, he's praying for all the people who would be saved in the ensuing so far 2,000 plus years until he comes back. For all of those people, I want them to know the unity you and I have, Father. The oneness of the Trinity. That's what I want for my children, my bride. Think how many times in the church we've got that messed up. How often do we get that messed up? Because we get sideways about the wrong things. So here's what he's saying. I want that intimacy for them. I want them to understand relationship. Pray for them. That they could be one. They could understand what it means to love someone sacrificially, totally, unconditionally. Now look back in John where we were. Verse 14 again. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and I'm known by them. When he says, I know my sheep, it's so beautiful. In the original language, here's what he's saying. I know my sheep intimately and individually. Like if you have more than one child or more than one grandchild, all their personalities are different. you love each one individually and you deal with them individually you're intimate with them all but they're different you handle things in some cases differently I'm not talking about discipline I'm just talking about relating Jesus is saying here I know I'm the good shepherd I know my sheep I know Randy I know Steve I know them individually, intimately. I know the plans I have, he told Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you, Jeremiah. Think about that for a moment. There's so so many examples you could use in Scripture, but just Jeremiah for a moment. God said, I have great plans for you. And then for 50 years he preached with how many converts? Zero. Can you, you know, after about 40 years, you might say, you know, Lord, could we have a meeting? Uh, this doesn't appear to be working out too good. All God says is, you, you be faithful. I got great plans for you. By the way, he had great plans for Jeremiah. He also has great plans for you. Don't ever think that you got to be somebody else. God didn't save you to be somebody else. He saved you to be who? You. Your sphere of influence. Your relationships, your place, wherever God places you, because he knows you intimately. He knows what he wants from you, for you, 
how he wants to use you, the gifts, the spiritual gifts he's given to you. Not everybody, ha- we're teaching on spiritual gifts in my 930 class, and we were dealing with evangelism today. Not everybody has the gift of evangelism. But is everybody supposed to be a witness? Absolutely. So be a witness in the way God places you, the place he places you, the arenas in which he places you, and the opportunities by which he gives you. Don't think somebody else could do it better. He put you there to do it. In your family, your place of business, the ball team, maybe your kids play ball, the people you interact with. He placed you where he placed you for you to tell them about the good shepherd. Because you know him. Notice the rest of verse 14. Not only does Jesus know us, we know him. We know him. It's not going to church. It's not being religious. It's every waking moment knowing that you're in intimate relationship with God. The one true God through his son, Jesus Christ. Because you're a Christian. What a powerful message to share with people. So he not only offers personal relationship, verse 15, he offers permanent. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He offers permanent relationship. In John 17, that same prayer time, he said these words in verse 3. This is eternal life. Eternal life. That they may know you, God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. They're going to know you, God, when they know me, Jesus. Moral relativism and religious pluralism is killing the church in the United States of America because we've decided Jesus is not the only way. He said clearly in John 14, same upper room discourse, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now he's either an arrogant, false prophet, or he's God. We believe he's God. And we need to lovingly share that with people. Because if you examine every other religion throughout history, including today, Christianity is the only one that offers grace. What do the, the rest of them offer? Works-based salvation. God says, you can't be good enough. Here, I'll give it to you. I care about you. For God so loved the world that he gave. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. He gave. Verse 16. Point three there on your handout. He also unites his sheep. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. They will hear my voice. And there will be one flock, one shepherd. We've talked a little bit about that, so we're going to hit this quickly. Other sheep, not of this fold. Context of history, the context of scripture, the context of the Great Commission. He's talking about Gentiles here. Remember, his audience is what? They're Jewish. And he's saying to them, I got other sheep. 
Remember, the sheep metaphor goes all the way back to the Old Testament, goes all the way back to Abraham, the father of the faith, goes all the way back. He's saying, you're my sheep, Israel. I am the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. But I'm telling you, it's always been this way. i got other sheep. I'm going to bring them too, even though you don't want me to. Gentiles, nations, the Great Commission. He made it clear. What did he say in the Great Commission? As you go into the world, go to the nations, that means Gentiles, and make learner followers of me. Go. As you go is what it literally says. You're going to go, and I want them to hear about the Apostle Paul. Why did God save Saul of Tarsus? The number one enemy of the church, by the way. Why did God save Saul of Tarsus? To take the gospel to the Gentiles. That was his job. It's our job to take the gospel every place we can. Gentiles or Jews, doesn't matter. Everywhere. Other sheep I have. In Isaiah, the Bible says this. It's always been this way. In that day, there will be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him. This is the prophet Isaiah. The Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness that will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant, which is a Jewish word, a covenant to the people as a light to the Gentiles that the church was going to be made up of both Jews and Gentiles. That's why Jesus said, we're going to celebrate it here in a few moments, this is the new covenant in my blood. Not the old covenant, read the book of Hebrews. Not the old covenant of bulls and goats, that blood, my blood. That was a picture, I'm the substance. New blood, new covenant. For Jews and Gentiles becoming one, he unites his sheep. Romans 1.16, that great verse Martin, that led Martin Luther to trust Christ as his Savior. It says, uh, the gospel is the power of God and to salvation to everyone who believes, both to the Jew first and then to the Gentile historically. In other words, the gospel is, by, is the power by which the message, the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is the power by which God changes people, Jew or Gentile. Leads them to salvation. Jesus said, them also I must bring. There will be, notice there in verse 16, there will be, notice how he puts it, one flock, one shepherd, one voice. The church is his flock. He's the shepherd. And he's the voice that we listen to. Ephesians 3, the Bible says, The Gentiles should be fellow heirs, same body, partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Ephesians 4, one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is in you all. Colossians 3. There's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free. Christ is in all and, and in all. Christ is all and in all. And then in Revelation, John writes, Revelation 5, they sang a new song, 
saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And priests, you've made us kings and priests to our God. Incredible. I'm going to read you, tell you a story. It's a true story. And then we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. We're thinking about who our good shepherd is, uniting us, making us one. During World War II, well over a million people were murdered by the Nazis at one of their death camps. Six million Jews we know were killed, but over a million were killed at a place called Auschwitz, which you've heard of. Most of them were Jews. One of them was a lady named Eddie Hillesom. Eddie lived in Amsterdam during the Nazi occupation in 1942. She knew it was just a matter of time before the SS came after her and her friends. But Eddie decided not to go into hiding as the others did, even though she knew the Nazis were getting closer every day. She kept a journal of her life during those days. And just before she was packed into a cattle car to be taken to Auschwitz, she gave or she threw the journal to a friend. The journal was lost and it was forgotten and it was discovered in 1986 and then it was published in a book called An Interrupted Life. At some point while waiting for capture, Eddie was given a Bible and she began to read it. Through reading the Bible, she came to faith in Jesus Christ and her journal became an ongoing conversation between her and God. She gave her heart to God and then courageously walked through her troubles together with God. Here's a quote from her journal. From all sides, our destruction creeps up on us, and soon the ring will be closed. No one will be able to come, out, come to our aid. I don't feel that I am in anyone's clutches. I feel safe in God's arms. Once you've begun to walk with God, you need only to keep walking with him, and all of life becomes one long stroll. End quote. Written by a lady on her way to Auschwitz. I don't think I could have been that strong. I hope I could, but I don't think so. Here's the principle. Our shepherd is the good shepherd. He's faithful. Great is his faithfulness. Life is not easy. It is hard. But he is always with you mentioned it to you many times. If you've never read Corey Ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place, you need to read it. You need to read it because you're going to be challenged. You're going to be embarrassed. You're going to be crying. Powerful book. Same thing in, in Nazi concentration camps, what she and her sister did for Christ. We need to understand how special it is to be a Christian that God saved us for not just eternal life, but to be an overpowering witness in our world of salt and light. We're different because we know Christ. We have hope. People need hope desperately right now. We have it. We know love. We know forgiveness. We understand grace. We're not religious nuts. 
We're children of God. Personal relationship. He's our father. Romans, he's our daddy. Abba, daddy. I'm never alone because I'm always with my dad. We hang out together all the time. Even when I'm chasing the nasty armadillo. My dad's with me. Laughing at me, but he's with me. Christianity is so special and it's been so abused by preachers, clergy, and others in our nation who just don't tell the truth about it. Therefore, we have to. We're the church. I just want to encourage you about who your good shepherd is, how much he loves you, cares about you, and will never abandon you. No matter how you feel, he didn't go anywhere. It's like the old saying, if something's changed between you and God, guess who moved? Wasn't him. You bow your heads, please. Father, as we proceed to go into time of sharing the Lord's Supper together, I think it's important that we think about the sacrifice, the death of Jesus Christ being sufficient, being sacrificial, and being eternal. That it was never about him, selfless. It was always about us. We thank you that we've been saved in Christ, and as we share, think about his body and his blood, and then about him being our good shepherd, that we wouldn't understand how much he loves us, He's always there for us, protecting us, providing for us, guiding us because we desperately needed the sheep. Lord, just pray we could tell other people about our good shepherd and where they can find pasture that we have found. We commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. What I'd like you to do while the worship team leads in song, you spend this time alone with the Lord and get your elements, have them ready. And after the song, we will share the elements together.
Get your bread ready. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you as Christians for the new covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ, that we have the privilege of remembering, never forgetting, remembering, and then leaving here to proclaim the Lord's death. As we take the Lord's Supper together, we're proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes back. It's our privilege as your children, as his bride, as his body, to say to the world, this is Jesus Christ. He loved you, gave himself for you. He wants to be your shepherd. He's the good shepherd. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of things I want to share with you, and then I don't know if, we have a hand, if we've got the microphone. Oh, Rhett's got the microphone. I'll let him close us in prayer. A couple of things I want to mention to you. Remember the congregational meeting on October 3rd? Uh, continue to thank you guys for giving. And pro we're making progress next door, and we're, we're excited about that. You keep praying for that, and pray Steve can get uh, materials that he needs so we can get stuff done. And uh, we're just excited what God is doing. So thank you again for your faithfulness in giving and, and making all that possible. We, uh, the Lord, uh, we're privileged as leaders to lead at Christ Church. You guys, uh, you love each other. Uh, you care. And, and you want to see others to come, come to Christ. It's not just your holy huddle. You care. And that, uh, it's special for me. I was sharing with a pastor this week whose church is not like that. 
constant backbiting and, and whispering and stabbing each other in, in the back. And uh, it's hard for him to minister there. It's tough. Uh, I just thank you for the privilege we have of serving you and seeing what God is doing. So thank you for your faithfulness. And last thing I'll mention, if you want to be part of what we're doing on Wednesday nights, you can sign up and come eat, or you can just show up at, at 6.30, and we'll have a uh, shared Bible study in here, and got children's stuff, and then student ministry across the street on, on Wednesday night, just kind of a midweek moment of encouragement. So uh, thank you again just for your faithfulness. I love you. Rip.